Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. So, the song was a Bobby Venton song. Now you young folks have never heard of Bobby Venton. How many of you know of Bobby Venton? Cameron did, so that means he's an old guy like me. And the song is, I actually have a little 35-second clip of it. Remember that song? How many of you remember that song? Now, that song was was released by Bobby Venton in 1969, which was a very good year. That's the year I married my bride. And uh, then I was singing that to her. I still sing that to her. But now I understand this is also speaking, this is about my relationship with Jesus. Now, frankly, in 1969, I was a Christian, but I, I didn't know what it meant to really know Jesus. Because I hadn't really been taught that. The gospel that was presented to me didn't talk about that. It talked about what I should believe. But it didn't talk about what it means to love him. Now, how many of you know that uh, it's it's not real easy to to love someone you don't know, right? And then it is sometimes hard to love some of the people you do know, which reminds me of a little line I heard in seminary from my favorite professor, J.C. Winger: "To love." How does it go? To know the saints, to love the saints above. Oh, that will be glorious. But to love the saints we know, that's a different story. I didn't get that quite right, but you get the message. But the truth is, if you're going to love somebody, if you have a love relationship with someone, it's because you know them. And so I want to talk this morning about moving from a profession-only gospel to recovering a biblical encounter gospel. And I want to start, you always start with context. And I want to start with the context that we live in, and I'm calling it confused cultures. And uh, the scripture I want to look at is Romans 1, 19 to 21 from the message version. I'd like somebody to read that. Somebody that it's big enough on the screen you can read it. Read it for us. The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their with their eyes what their eyes 
by the such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion, so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to be to know it all, but it were illiterate regarding life. Okay. What what do you see as when you hear those words read, what's the central thought that sticks out to you? Anybody? Pardon? They didn't know him as God. They didn't treat him like God, it says, refusing to worship him. And then what happened to them? They ended up confused. Now, Anytime, that tells us, in fact, anytime we leave God out of the picture, we end up confused. And we live in a culture that has ruled God out of, of a lot of things, including the educational system, the public square, some workplaces. It's like, it's okay in your private place, but not out here where life has really lived. And the implication of that is it isn't pertinent for that. And the truth is, when you, rule, when you leave God out, when you just refuse to give him the place, see, that's not, that's not a real open rebellion. It's just kind of a polite, well, you know, if you, if you need religion, that's okay. But it doesn't really have anything to do with life. And I think the same thing has happened. I think we live in a very confused culture. And it's just interesting to me, if you go on and read the rest of Romans 1, uh, where it talks about where that confusion showed up, was in their sexuality. And what is more confused in our culture right now than our sexuality? So that's the context that we live in. Now, I want to suggest that a confused culture has somewhat confused the church. And a somewhat confused church has produced a somewhat confused and incomplete gospel that has produced a confused definition of who is a Christian. And a confused definition of a Christian has produced many Christians who failed to experience the healthy and harmonious relationships with God, self, others, and the creation itself that God first created and Jesus died to restore. That's what the gospel's really all about. It's about reversing the curse. And the curse wasn't just a broken relationship with God. It was broken in all four of those areas, spiritually, emotionally, socially, and physically. So the gospel is about restoring all of that. Now, I want to give you the current definitions in Webster's unabridged dictionary. But before I do, let me ask you another question. Where, where does Webster's get their, their definitions? 
common usage. Okay, they don't just dream it up. They analyze how it's used in the culture. So let me give you some of their definitions. The first one is one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Is that the definition of a Christian? No. No, no it is. It does. The, the New Testament talks about confessing Jesus as Lord, but it means confessing, professing, believing in Jesus. That's different than believing in the teachings of Jesus. It literally means to believe into Jesus. It means to put your life in his hands. Okay? Second one is a member of a church or group that professes Christian doctrine or belief, whether you confess it or not. Third one, these get more interesting as you go, one born in a Christian country or of Christian parents who has not definitely adhered to an opposing system. So anybody born in this country or born into a Christian family is a Christian unless they have intentionally adhered to something else, whether that's Buddhism, Hinduism, secularism, or whatever. Self. Okay. Now the fourth, the third one is the hero in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And I could add a fourth one that would be our number three son. That's Christian. But the first two are the ones I want you to note. It's about profession. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that what you profess or what that you confess with your mouth isn't valuable and important. We confessed and agreed with the creed this morning. Nothing wrong with that at all. But reading the creed doesn't make you a Christian. Okay? So the question is, is it about professing or is it about knowing? Okay? Now, this diagram I have comes from one of my heroes of the faith, Dallas Willard, who I never met, but I read everything the man wrote that I could find, and he's impacted my life a lot. And we're going to talk about four things. The first one is knowledge. What does it mean to know biblically? It means to have an interactive relationship with someone. You know, If you know them, you have an interactive relationship. So when we talk about knowing God, it means we, we have an interactive relationship with him. And we get to know him, we get to know him as he really is, and we get to know the reality of his kingdom and life the way he designed it. And when that happens, it begins to change our belief systems, and we begin to change. That's the process of repentance. Repentance is changing your mind, and so we begin to believe, we begin to put into our heart what we've learned from knowing him. Does that make sense to you? And then that leads to the third one, which is commitment, which means we're just, we've met, we, we've come to know God. That has changed our way of thinking, and we're committed to living it out. 
And fourth is profession, which is simply announcing our agreement with God and we confess Jesus is Lord. And when God says sin is sin, we say sin is sin. That's what it means to confess. Now, here's the deal. Biblical faith moves in that direction. It starts by knowing God. It starts with an encounter where you come to know him. And that changes our belief system, which we walk out and profess. And here's the problem. Modern evangelism starts at the other end. And what we go for is a profession. We say so-and-so made a profession of faith. Now the problem with that is they've, they've, they've agreed with something that somebody told them but many times they're not, they're not committed to walking it out because they don't understand it, because their, their belief system really hasn't changed. You see, the Bible says we live out of what we believe in our heart. See, that's different than what you believe in your head. To believe, and the Bible also is very clear, Proverbs says, guard your heart because everything you do comes from it. So we live out of what's in our heart. So we have people who have literally, folks, hundreds of thousands, millions of people on this planet who have made a profession of faith and don't really, they don't really know Jesus. And consequently, it hasn't, there hasn't been a change in the heart. That's a, that's a serious problem, I think. I was just reading this week. You know the story of Rwanda about the genocide that, w that happened in the 1990s between the Hutus and the Tutsis. Did you know that between the 1930s and the 1980s there was, there was revival in Rwanda and in the 80s Rwanda was known as the most Christianized nation in the world. 85% of the people in Rwanda in the 80s had, had professed Christianity. And 10 years later, in a 100-day span, somewhere between 800,000 and a million of them were killed. And largely, folks, it was Christians killing Christians. Now, how does that happen? Does that, do you ever wonder about how things like that happen? Those are questions that keep me up at night. And I say, how, how did that happen? That's not what Christianity is all about. How does it happen? Well, it happens because unintended, I'm not saying we've intentionally misled anybody. What I'm saying is our methods have fruit. And if we go for, if we believe that the definition why is it important that we, that we have a clear definition of who a Christian is? Because we will keep producing what we think is a Christian. And if we think it's profession, that's what we'll keep going for, is a profession. Does this make any sense to you? You see, Acts 11.26 says, 
the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you know that the word Christian only appears two times in the New Testament? Here and in 1 Peter, where Peter talks about suffering as a Christian. I don't remember if that's 1st or 2nd Peter. Those are only two occurrences. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you notice what they were were disciples? What they were called were Christians. Now it's interesting, even the man who wrote the book, The Disciple-Making Pastor and The Disciple-Making Church, accepts the idea that anybody who has made a profession is a Christian, and then some of those Christians are disciples. Where did we get that idea? Isn't it legitimate to ask that question? Where did we get that idea? Because... When the, when the name was first used, when they were called Christians at Antioch in Acts 11, it was because they were disciples. So who is a Christian biblically? I want to give you my definition. I don't have time to really look at all the scriptures behind it, but this is, this is my best definition of a Christian. This is what I want to see people become. Christians are people who know God, are disciples or apprentices. That's the best understanding in our cultural language today of what a disciple is. Apprentices of Jesus who've trusted their lives to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus in God's kingdom way of life, reconciled to God, self, and others, and the physical creation. They're not just people who professed a belief system or who fit a cultural identity. That's the definition I use of a Christian. That's what I want to, that's what I'm going for. I want to see people come to faith, get to know God, and become active apprentices of Jesus and follow Him in life. Now, so we're some Christians follow Jesus, but which Jesus? Somebody. Can somebody read that scripture for me? Is it big enough on the screen for you to read? Yeah. Okay, somebody read that. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband through Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you receive, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up. You put up with it easily enough. Okay. Now, did you know there's other Jesuses? Even in the first century, Paul says, Somebody comes to you and proclaims a different Jesus than the one I proclaimed, and you put up with it. You accept it. Are there other Jesuses around today? Where do they come from? There you go. There are, there are man's ideas. Okay, I'm supposed to follow Jesus. Well, this is who Jesus is, and, and, I'm not, and I'll follow him because he thinks like I do. Why does, how does that happen? That happens because we create idols. 
and call them Jesus. And so Paul's saying, listen, if you want to be safe here, go back to the original Jesus. We, for us, we go back to the Jesus proclaimed in the New Testament and say, I want to know that one. Because that's where life comes from. So, that's a picture of the Revive Bible, which I have my copy here. Remember when Revive Indiana was in this area two, two years ago? There's a lot of good things come out of that. But one of the things that bothered me is the way they trained uh, people to share their faith they use this Bible. They're still using it all over all over the nation. And there's six tabbed scriptures that are then highlighted in the scripture. And so you read those verses. You read those verses with the person you're witnessing to. Now, notice there's no tabs until you get past halfway through it. Which means there's no tabs in the Gospels. Now, I remember having the question, you know, if, if this is about introducing people to Jesus, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we introduce people to Jesus? Why wouldn't we start with his invitation? But if you really want somebody to know somebody, we would start there, right? So why do we start in the back? Because we start with profession with what we should profess. So it was actually out of that that I wrote my little passport. That was my response to Revive Indiana. And I said, you know what? Now, the second part of the passport, I have the scriptures that are tabbed in here. But the first part of the passport, I have the sixfold invitation of Jesus. They're all from the Gospels. We're going to look at the first two of those today. Because I want people to get to know Jesus. Because that's where it starts. Now, so the first one is Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. Who would read that for us? Okay. So what do you see there? What's the first thing that strikes you as you read that? Pardon? Hidden from the wise and learned. In other words, this isn't just about how much you know. 
Okay, what else? Israel, you said... Just personally, I mean, the, the phrase, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Yeah. Come to me. Who are weary and burdened. How many people in this land in which we live are weary and burdened right now? And what is Jesus saying to them? Listen, come to me. I will reveal the Father to you. Get yoked with me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that what does it mean? What does that mean? My yoke. My burden is not as heavy like your burden. You can find rest and peace Right. That's to come to me and get to know me. What does it mean to be yoked together? Connected together, right? That's that's a yoke of oxen. Okay. So if you're going to get yoked to Jesus, Jesus is saying, "Come and get yoked with me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Rick. It's interesting as I look at that and think of that. To truly be a disciple, it means to walk with Jesus and have an engagement, intimate relationship. When I looked at this picture just now, just now. Being yoked with Jesus suggests and means that I have to walk up and be with him and go with him wherever he goes, or wherever I go, he goes with me. We're yoked to each other, both of us. Yeah. No matter what the Right. We're connected. And he says, don't worry about that because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if, you ha- if you're burdened down, come and, and, and get yoked with me. Because I can give you something else. That's the invitation. Why wouldn't we start where Jesus starts? Come to me. Second scripture, John 17, 1 to 3. Somebody read that for us. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave, gave me to do. And now... Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay. Now what about that scripture? What jumps out to you when you when you hear Rick read that? Now this is eternal life that, that you that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now this is eternal life that they know you. They know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is about knowing. This is eternal life. Notice it doesn't say, now this is eternal life. Profess these things and pray this prayer. It says eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus whom he sent. 
Now, I would suggest to you, if you go back and look in the Scriptures, you can verify what I said earlier, that a biblical faith moves in that direction, to know, to believe, commitment, and profession. And you can go, you can look through, if look at Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the early church, Paul, etc., etc. It began with an encounter with the living God. And it didn't stop in the New Testament. Throughout church history. People have encountered the living God, and that's where their lives changed. I want to just give you the story of one, Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal lived 1623 to 1662. Notice that's not quite 40 years. That's a short life. He grew up in a, in a Christian home. He embraced Christianity at, young, at a young age, intellectually, but he wasn't really living it out. He was a brilliant man. He was one of the first scientists. He was a brilliant mathematician. He invented the first calculator. You didn't know calculators went all the way back to the 17th century, did you? He was a brilliant man. And this, what, what, what I have there is, it's not the full thing, but it's, I shorten it to fit on the screen, but most of it is there is him recording an encounter he had in 1654 that so impacted him that he wrote it out and carried it with him the rest of his life. He actually sewed it into the inside of his jacket so that he carried it with him wherever he went and others found it after he died. Somebody read Blaise Pascal's testimony. Year of Grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November. From about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. That's a pretty powerful testimony, isn't it? Would you say that somewhere along the line, that night, Pascal had an encounter with the living God. And he came to know God beyond just knowing the right things about God. In our day, I don't know if you've read much of uh, Bill Johnson's stuff, but if you've read, if you read Bill Johnson give his testimony, he had a very similar experience. Where like for a long time at night, one night, he, he felt like he was on fire. That's it, I mean, it's almost exactly the same testimony. Now, I have never felt like fire, but I want to tell you something. I have encountered the presence of the living God. And I know when I do. And I've come to know him 
And I've learned that to know him is to love him because of who he is. Do you have any questions about anything I've said? Does this make sense to you? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to drum up people who use my passport. If you want to use the passport, that's fine. But I am challenging you to consider the gospel you proclaim because I think it makes a difference. And so here's what I want you to do. You've read these scriptures, and I want you to take two minutes right now to just ask Jesus, how would you like me to respond in obedience to your words? Because this is why God shows us things, is that so we can act on it. I've been reading a book where the guy talks about the fact that we have a not, our discipleship has been a knowledge paradigm rather than an obedience paradigm. What's important is what you know. But biblically, what's important is your response and obedience to the revelation God gives you. So we've read some scriptures. I'm going to ask you to take the next two minutes to simply ask Jesus, how would you like me to respond in obedience to your words? And then write down what you heard. That fair enough? All right, go for it. Amen. Now, ask yourself the question, who can you tell about how God is working in your life in this next week? Today begins the, the last third of the year. We've been on this the three journeys this year, right? 
in, up, and out. So this is beginning the out. So who can you tell about how God is at work in your life? Remember, to know him is to love him. Let's end where we began. Jesus, to know you is to love you, and I do. And I believe my friends in this room do. Show us, teach us to invite others to you. Because as they get yoked with you, they will find rest for their souls. Thank you for the rest that we have in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.